0: RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all ever Okay, start the thing. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. I'm Abby, your nurse host. And the reason why I'm doing the intro today is because we have a really special surprise. We have Dr. Bedside Rounds, who came on the podcast to chat with us, and we were so excited. He's one of my favorite people, and he has been for a long time. He is the kind of person that if I tell him, hey, I'm having a problem with the audio for this podcast, he'll jump on Zoom and try to help me out um, just because that's the kind of guy he is. Um, He's so thoughtful in everything that he says. Um, And we can go from you'll see in this episode talking about like chit-chatting and talking about like funny things or weird patient experiences we've had to really serious topics. And we sort of did all of that here. And um, that's one of the reasons why I just, he's such a lovely person and why he's so beloved. So um, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, Hopefully we'll have him on more in the future because I just love talking to him. Anyway, okay, here we go.
1: All right, today we have a very special guest on our show. He's our first guest. Uh, he's very well known on Instagram um, with his meme account, Bedside Rounds.
0: With a Z. With a Z. That's
1: right. That's right. <laughs> uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh,
2: TikTok, YouTube.
0: You're on and TikTok?
2: Twitch. Wow. Yeah, I, I started TikTok recently. So. Nice. Oh, really? yeah. And now he's on and M D. <laughs> That's right. And now uh, guest uh, interviewer for the RNMD podcast. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Definitely. i so for I'd, coming
2: on. Thank Sorry.
0: you so much. I'm so excited to have you. I've been waiting for this like all week. I'm so excited.
2: Good. Um, it feels like the right day because I just uh, finally got uh, the first quarantine cut after four months. So, Oh, my I God. Feel, yeah. I feel the most normal uh, that I've felt in months. Actually. So
0: you, you know what's funny? I got my hair cut today for the first time since I mean, way before quarantine. I get my hair cut like every six months and then quarantine just happened to happen when I needed a haircut and then yeah. I haven't got mine cut and I got mine cut today too. So haircut nice. buddies.
1: Yeah. Uh Daniel, can we see your hair by the way?
0: <laughs> oh
1: it's, it's hidden under these giant headphones over here. Okay. You okay.
0: So Abby yep, cut great
1: hair, man. Oh, you heard that? Yeah. You hear what she said, Abby? <laughs> <laughs> you hear what he said? It? Thank a- you so a- much.
0: Abby cut Dan's hair.
1: Yeah, she gave me this haircut.
0: <laughs> it's a little uneven.
1: Is it? No. I think it looks good. Thanks. I like it, man. It's, Thank it's you. Uh I envy people that have uh, nice thick hair like that. So, nice. <laughs> if those of you who can't see our guest, he says beautiful, shiny head. <laughs> yeah, almost like the... Um, uh,
2: cartoonized image on my, uh, profile pic.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So wait, let's address that really quickly. So you're going to stay anonymous right
2: here or on Instagram or what?
0: In general, what's your plan? <laughs>
2: what's your five-year plan? <laughs> so world domination doesn't happen anonymously, you guys. Okay. <laughs> so eventually people have to know who I am. I mean, okay. look, th- this has been um, uh, a weird, uh, evolving thing. Um, I didn't have any intentions of having a, a Instagram account that had some degree of influence or uh, a platform. And actually, it was about a year ago when I first opened it. Before Instagram, my goal was uh, to be able to achieve some degree of influence uh, Opportunity to make the healthcare system better, and um, and actually, it for me, what I want to do in medicine is uh, is three things. Uh, one of them is uh, my clinical work, and uh, I'm super interested in cardiology, and particularly in the worst cases of cardiology, the advanced heart failure, and the resuscitation, and critical care, and that kind of stuff. LVADs and Impella's and ECMO, et cetera. There's the medical education component. That's part two. And then part three is uh, Health 3.0, which is improving our healthcare system overall to deliver better care. Because it doesn't matter how good uh, one individual person or one individual facility or a team may be. um, People are slipping through the cracks all the time. Even before this pandemic, and that's always bothered me. And I think there are plenty of low-budget solutions. And uh, with technology, things should be so much better than they are. I got reposted by uh, by Evie on Nurse Life RN. Uh,
0: oh, I didn't know in, that.
2: Back in August of last year. Oh. And uh, in in forty eight hours, I went from four hundred followers to ten thousand. Wow. That was wow. really crazy. And then, like from then, it just kind of became well, now I have this thing here. How do I use it? Um, by the way, I'm going to answer the question of whether I'm anonymous or not. I'm going to get there, okay? Okay. Um,
1: it took me This episode is, is titled World Domination, by the way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: The three E's. That's what my Instagram account is the three
2: E's uh, entertain, educate, and empower.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So if I'm at my best using my Instagram account, I'm able to hit all three uh, with the same content. But otherwise, it's you're going to get some overlap of one of those th- three things. That's kind of what I aim for. And then with the other uh, platforms, what I decided is I'm going to treat each, on each bedside rounds. The persona of content is going to be a little bit different on each platform. And so... Uh, on Instagram, it's going to be primarily uh, staying with memes. And, uh, you know, I do some stuff on the stories. I repost other people and I give my thoughts and that kind of thing. Um, Twitch is like audio and I'm going to do some interactive education there. And it's kind of really an open platform for me. I haven't put much time into it yet. Um, Twitter is where I, I write things and then I meme them. I meme my, my own Twitter posts. Um, <laughs> Discord became unexpectedly uh, uh, a family of healthcare workers. Uh, yeah. Essentially, it's like if I was able to open up my my DMs to where everybody could interact with everybody else. Um, and then we have channels and we have all kinds of people who are uh, supporting each other. And it's kind of on its own. I, I can't keep up with all of the conversations happening there. But 200 plus members on that of, uh, people talking to each other. Uh, and then actually TikTok, which I decided, uh, I am going to use it as the most, uh, uh the platform where you get the most of actually me. Um, so you're going to get my face, you're going to get my voice. I'll be talking on it. Um, so at some point, uh, I suppose people that follow me closely enough are going to be able to connect me in real life to this account, but I kind yeah. of want, I want to be able to use this to continue to, uh, I, I influences out there for me to use. I don't want to waste it. I want to be able to capitalize on and make things better. So there's limits to how much you can do anonymously, which I kind of joke referenced with the world domination thing. But in reality, if you really want to be a part of the solution, you need influence, you need a platform. Yeah, it has to be the real life version of you. So that being said, uh, please call me Michael Mm -hmm. if you want to.
0: Okay. uh,
2: (laughs) Because that is my name.
0: Um, Not Dr. Rounds.
2: You can call me Dr. Rounds if you want. (laughs) uh, But Michael is me, so... Uh, that's okay. And gradually, I'm going to open up uh, more and more. I'm a little bit afraid of what's going to happen if someone tries to dox me through my workplace and that kind of stuff, but exactly, generally, I'm trying to uh, stay true to the things that need to be said without sort of exposing myself uh, to uh, hatred. So
0: yeah, it's uh, easier I mean-
2: than it is, but yeah.
0: Let's talk about doxing for a second. Okay. How do you feel sure. about that? I've seen it happen. It happened recently with a doctor. I don't know if we should name names, no, but well, yeah. yeah, I don't want to like.
2: The thing is, it's that it's like this for me, people have been acting the same way for a long time. It's just suddenly um, light is reflected on a certain part of their personality and then it kind of becomes more publicly known. But they mm-hmm. have been that way for a long time. So um, this person that we're uh, not mentioning, um, I think it's kind of revealing um, what their perception of uh, healthcare care roles is and the uh, relative value, perhaps, of, of the nursing field in general and how important nurses are to Patient understanding. You know, like when I come in there for five minutes, I'm like, hey, this is heart failure. Let's say I go the extra mile and I draw uh, a picture, simplified heart on the whiteboard with Mm -hmm. a pump and a dilated left ventricle and congestion in the lungs and then an arrow down to the legs and swollen. Let's say I I do it all. Mm
0: -hmm. Which we love, by the way. We like, we talk about them like, oh, who's a better artist? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, not me, but. When, uh, when I walk out of the room, for the remaining 12 hours and for the remaining several days, it's, it's going to be that reinforcement and the primary education on the nursing side. So um, whatever this person was trying to say, it was lost in translation. But the point I'm saying is this. There, the filter was missing to recognize um, the way that that's going to come across. And that says to me that this person actually does not see nurses in this way at all, because this person is a uh, almost celebrity status physician, mm-hmm. and I don't think they would have uh, put out this take yeah if they really knew better. So I don't know, yeah. yeah. But doxing in general, I don't like it uh, when when uh, physicians make complete asses themselves online on Twitter, or on Instagram, or whatever. Uh, I just, as a general policy, I don't give them any airtime, sometimes I'll indirectly reference it and kind of model what I think is right, which is usually the opposite of what they do.
0: Yeah. I I think the doxing is a problem in and of itself um, just because it creates this culture where also people don't feel free to speak because they're afraid. Um, that whatever they're trying to say is going to be perceived wrong. So, for example, I crowdsource a lot for information and for topics. Hey, what kind of problems do you have with doctors? What kind of problems do you have with nurses? I get nurses 100%, but I I don't get a lot of doctors saying anything bad because I think they're very afraid of it being screenshotted and now it's circulated, and so they're just going to say nothing. And that doesn't help the problem either, right? Because there is a problem
2: yeah um and daniel you probably relate to this but i have seen uh other people permanently damage their career um, because of uh, saying something uh, as a physician just one sentence um, whether it was taken out of context or not can damage an entire uh, career in medicine and and i know of people that have um, had poor judgment in social media that are that got kicked out of medical school, got severely punished, or removed from residency programs because of that kind of stuff too. Uh, Daniel, you're nodding. I'm assuming. Oh, I've heard I of know this. Know how that
1: goes? Uh, only I wouldn't say only people in medicine would understand, but there is a certain understanding within the medical community, whether it's medical school, residency, or in an academic institution, where you are under scrutiny to some level um, and every action you take could be, you know, scrutinized more carefully than perhaps other people would. Yeah. Abby, the pressure on a physician to uh,
2: minimize the risk of being sued for giving uh, the wrong information or for uh, mistreatment of a patient and I'm certainly not going to complain about being a male, but the the appropriate degree of heightened uh, spotlight on male physician behavior towards mm-hmm. anybody else, um, uh, this stuff is kind of drilled into our minds in terms of the way that we, mm-hmm. uh, we have to be. And uh, Daniel, I'll go to you again, I personally have had experiences where I write something and it just has this hint of being incriminating towards another physician when I was in training in residency or well, yeah. Cause as a student, no one gave a shit about my notes, but in residency, <laughs> and my attendings really didn't like that. And they delete all that stuff. They take it out of the note. Wow. Um, you don't I mean, want it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you don't yeah. want to say something that's, uh, make somebody else look bad and you cannot say anything that makes you look bad. So
1: that's kind of, that's drilled into us uh, during training. Definitely. Abby, how about you from your end on the nursing side? Do you feel the same way?
0: No, I don't feel the same way. And I don't think nurses are aware of this problem, to be honest with you. I never heard of it until we started talking more about this. Um, I think with nursing, you, you may be fired. I've heard of uh nursing, um, like Instagram accounts who have been fired for posting maybe uh, HIPAA or, you know, too much information about their institution, but never completely canceled. Like y- you can find a job somewhere else. Um, so that's the big difference between you guys and us, definitely.
2: Can I ask, um, when, when we do um, credentialing for hospitals, we have to say if we've ever had our credentials revoked, we've ever applied to a uh, hospital and not been accepted and that kind of stuff, even if it doesn't enter legal territory. um, These kinds of things, uh, you you legally have to report it on your credentialing for hospitals. Is that the same on the nursing side?
0: Um, we have to say every time you renew your nursing license, you have to say if you've been um, had any kind of action taken against you legally as a nurse, if you've um, had any kind of uh, drug convictions or any kind of uh, physical assault convictions. All of that is um, part of like your license renewal. I think there is when you're applying to a new hospital. Have you ever had your license revoked before?
2: Yeah, but just. Something as simple as hospital privileges, if those are revoked, um, nothing is ever legally involved there. Just privileges being revoked its going to get – you'll have to answer yes or no and then Mm -hmm. fill out paperwork to explain. Um, It's not just that hospital credentialing and hospital paperwork, uh, healthcare paperwork is such a disaster in general, but also it it just – Um, you can't really outrun that. So it's going to be there. Mm -hmm. So we all really don't want to ever get fired from a job as a physician. Um, Also reputation is important too. So we're all very careful about ending up with a bad reputation. It's terrifying to think about if I say something and someone runs a negative article about me with my name and my face. Right. uh, That's, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do in that situation. It's not good.
0: Physician reviews even are terrible. <laughs> can be terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah. I have found... You're talking about the... Like Zoc the website and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I actually... I made myself feel okay with those. Uh, because I found that uh, some of the worst physicians can have good scores. And then some mm-hmm. of the best can have bad ratings. And a lot of times it comes down to... Are you filling out the prescription of the uh, medication and the amount that a person is wanting. And if not, they go angry. Right. They, they, yeah, they click one star out of five or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm I'm good with having a one star rating on those things because I think generally people know your work. And in fact, I'll tell you, Abby, like if you have a, a patient who's nervous about something they need to get done in the hospital, And then the person that's going to come and see them is actually somebody that you think is really good. Aren't you going to say, you know, I just want to let you know, you know, Dr. So-and-so is coming and they're one of the best that I've worked with, right? Definitely. Yeah. Word of mouth really matters. And uh, I found that to be a lot more meaningful than uh, ZocDoc or whatever.
0: Yeah. (laughs) okay wait so it's july yeah yeah what does
1: that mean abby
0: you guys let's talk about it because you know what okay i made a little graphic and i was like hey let's just be nice to the interns and then like a million people were like yeah great idea like they had never heard of it before so i feel like this is something that needs to be talked about like why are we so mean to interns They're going through so much. How can we help them? I I feel like we need to talk about it.
1: So for those of you who don't know, um, July 1st is an important time of the year for hospitals, especially academic hospitals. That's when the new interns come in. They just graduated medical school and they're starting their first year of residency. And now they're doctors. They're brand new, newly minted doctors and they're coming in, you know, all this enthusiasm and, with all the information they have in medical school, they don't realize how little they actually know. And I think that that causes, you know, some problems um, for them and the people around them. Any thoughts on on your end, Michael, and your experiences with that? Yeah. Well, we also have to acknowledge people could
2: be interns in the same program and have vastly different uh, educational uh, exposures prior to being there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People could come from the exact same medical school, go into the exact same internship program and have different third and fourth year medical school clinical rotations and different degrees of comfort level managing uh, managing things. So we are such a not homogeneous group when it comes to uh, new grad physicians entering their intern year of residency that uh, when people, I keep getting this question over and over again of uh, from nurses saying, what can I do to help the interns? And I wish I had a good answer, but there's no such thing as the interns as a, a singular group. We are so mixed and different. Some people are almost ready for their second year on day one, and other people need constant supervision and uh, anything they do is really, uh, anxiety provoking for everyone else on the team. Um, I was saying on my Instagram account, uh, in my, in my program, I had this guy who was, uh, in his mind, he was going to go for radiology from day one. He ended up matching into radiology. Um, he didn't really, uh, have much internal medicine training, uh, nor was he passionate or interested in it. So he showed up. Uh, to his internship, completely unprepared to make medical decision-making. All he wanted to do was look at screens and uh, images and learn how to read images. You know, It took a lot to get this guy to commit to ordering IV fluids on a patient. It took a lot. Um, a, a decision that uh, I can make within two seconds of being woken up from a deep sleep now mm-hmm. was paralyzing uh, in that scenario, for that person. So the interns uh, are not really just the interns. So I just wanted to make sure to clarify that. But um, Daniel, I just want to ask you, Have you uh, do you remember a particular memory from your intern year where you really felt uh, unprepared or overwhelmed
1: uh, really stupid? Just something that you feel like is a a story you could share? That's a good, that's a good question. I don't think there was, I don't think there was just one time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, first year is a really tough year. Um, I think um, we're very anxious about how much we know um, and how, how much we have to learn. It's, it could be really daunting. There were a few times where I felt that way. I'm trying to think of specific examples. Just before intern year started,
2: it was uh, like the last day of orientation. We just mm-hmm. got our white coats really crisp and nice. And I was you know, feeling really good about myself. I was on the fifth floor. Uh, they called overhead code blue and there was a, a cardiac arrest on a, this was a telemetry floor. And I'm standing in the hallway. And you wouldn't believe the way that my overconfidence actually set me up for this. But I was like, it's a coding patient. Uh, I'm a doctor. And I have ACLS certification. So I can run this code. Wow. Um, Not realizing in the moment that I don't remember a thing about ACLS at all. (laughs) So I walk in the room and I think the nurse is there. It was like a charge nurse and other people there. Someone was doing compressions. And uh, I think they were relieved when they saw me walk in. Of course. Now, mind yeah. you, I'm like a, a six foot one guy who probably looks more confident that they are at any given time. <laughs> so I, I walk in with this totally unearned, obnoxious confidence. <laughs> my white coat and the nurse sees me and says, uh, are you going to run this code? And then I froze. I was thinking, "What is? How do you, what does it mean to run a code? What do I say? Yeah. What do yeah. I do? I hadn't even seen the patient yet. It was like a double room and there was a curtain. I was just kind of right in the beginning of the, the doorway. But I was silent for like a really long five to 10 seconds. And then the nurse just basically walked away from me, ignored me, and went back to try and figure it out. And I was like, um, this is it. Like, either I know something or I don't. It doesn't matter that uh, in my fourth year of medical school, I was heavily coached and handheld through ACLS training to where I fulfilled the testing requirement and passed it and got my card that says ACLS. I actually was on the hook for being able to run it. And actually, many nurses are ACLS and maybe Mm – they have the same realization, like, yikes, do I really know the ins and outs of the H's and T's of cardiac arrest? And do I have an order of uh, drugs that (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to give we just
0: We just had this conversation that, like, I'm ACLS and I'm in the ICU now, and I don't know.
2: So I learned uh, if I'm going to survive in this role where I'm now expected to be a decision maker, I can't pretend anymore. I mean, it was good that I was willing to put myself uh, in that situation. Mm-hmm. But how inappropriate to do that without actually knowing for sure if I knew what I was doing. It's like it's a very red flaggy kind of behavior for me. So now I, when I get medical students, uh, I do really uncomfortable scenarios with them uh, because I don't want them to be in that intern scenario that uh that i was and actually i would say this as a message to any interns that are listening you have to kind of uh, keep your eyes open and keep them make a mental list of scenarios where you will be uh, required to make medical decisions uh, before help arrives and the first four minutes of uh, a C L S, running a code for cardiac arrest, is one of those times. And you know, night shift. There's a lot of those things. How do you want to respond to abnormal vitals? What's your What's your approach for getting a phone call that the blood pressure is high? What's your approach to getting called that there's a fever, altered mental status, agitation, psychosis? Like, what are we doing in all these things? Uh, low blood pressure. What are we doing in that situation? What is the threshold for? Giving up with the phone call and saying, forget it, I'm coming to the bedside, I'll see you in two minutes, I'm going to come and, and you know, stand there with you, we'll figure it out together, versus I can try and just ask for uh, info on the phone and make those decisions. Um, it's not too early as an intern to start figuring out those things and find the holes in your knowledge uh, so that you can plug those gaps as early as possible. Um, those are the opportunities as an intern, and there aren't many. But those are the opportunities where you can show competence and really earn uh, the trust of your seniors, your attending faculty, and very importantly, the nursing staff that's going to save your ass day after day, especially if they like you and and they they trust you and they appreciate you. So the reason I bring up my discomfort with the code was um, a call to learning to know how to run a code. And uh, think about other scenarios where you might be the only one there for a period of time um, and what are you gonna do in that situation start working mm. on that
1: I was on night not night shift I was on a long call that means my shift ends around eight or nine and right before I was leaving I get called like there's a patient in the ED and they're having multiple episodes of syncope and I was like all right so I go oh, oh and they're like oh by the way her QT is 632 <laughs> 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 and I'm like, uh, okay, whatever. Um, I go down and see her. I look at the the pacer. I look at the monitor, and she's going into VT, like, like yeah. long run of VT. And I promptly like print it because the alarm went off, and I print it out, and it's like clearly torsades, like clearly. And I'm like, holy shit! Like, what the fuck do I do? And this was like a perfect time where I'm. You were asking, like, do I know what I'm doing at that moment? I'm like what do I do? You know what I mean? Like what is does go? Going- I couldn't believe it. Uh, I had a code in my second year
2: um, that was torsats, And um, I was there for like six minutes before uh, anyone else showed up.
0: Oh my God. Uh,
2: this is a theme because my, uh, my colleagues in my class, I mean, remember I had no upperclassmen, no seniors. That's and so the people weird. in my class were very much like mousy and like, uh, shying away from high-risk medical situations, so uh, they wouldn't even show up if they called overhead for a code a lot of the wow. times. Um, and, uh, you know, the size of that hospital with the ER just wasn't there yet. So I'm there running the code and then I, I'm looking at the defib monitor and it says torsades. And then I was like, that's TORSADS! That's crazy. And then I was like, give mag i think yeah yeah Yeah. so i was like we need to give mag um and so the nurse pulls open the the med drawer in in the crash cart there's a vial of magnesium she says how much And i was like i don't know actually so just a second i get my maxwell guide up. i'm looking for acls i think i find torsades it says magnesium sulfate i don't in mine it didn't say how much oh shit and I was oh like, uh, I was like, just draw some up. And then I'm on my cell phone Googling how much magnesium to give into our sauce. <laughs> I think I found maybe on Hippocrates or something or up to date. It was like two to four grams from my memory. I, I was I, like, how many is in that thing? And <laughs> she's like, there's four grams. And I was like, just give the whole thing.
0: Yeah, there's four and grams for a reason, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's just give it all. And she did. And that, I think that plus like the other things we were doing we got a post back on this case but uh wow i mean that was an intern year but
0: uh that's really scary that's wait so
2: scary yeah how
0: do, how do you work if you don't have anyone above you how did that work if you're the first class
2: it's me and the attending and uh wow. in our residency setup our attendings weren't staff hospitalists they were uh outpatient uh internal medicine providers they would come in in the morning and round on their patients and then leave, go back mm-hmm. to their office and see a full panel of patients every day. And so, you know, we had rounding, uh, at, uh, 615 in the morning. Uh, and then they were uh, the program director at the time was out of the hospital by seven thirty AM. And most of the daytime nurses, uh, didn't know what he looked like even. They just knew his name because he was in and out at the very end of night shift and that's it. Yeah. So there was a lot of times where I was uh, alone and I learned that and I don't really know how to coach this. I've tried uh, and I haven't really succeeded. There's two different ways to not know what you're doing. One way is a way that's like, I don't know, but uh, I'm going to figure it out Mm -hmm. and I'll work with it with you. The other is like, uh, I don't know, and I'm, I'm a dumb idiot, and uh, <laughs> it's really awkward and embarrassing for everybody. Um, I think generally I've managed to land on the, uh, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm going to figure it out, and then people don't lose faith or credibility in me. I don't know why. <laughs> But I tried to coach interns the the coming years, like, if you don't know what you're doing, you have to admit that you don't know what you're doing. Right. And then someone took that to heart. And then I'm in the ICU the next day, and the ICU nurse is like, what's with these interns? This guy sucks. He said he doesn't even know what he's doing. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) not how you do
0: it.
2: Uh, That may be my fault, I'm sorry. Like, please work with this guy, teach him and like, Help him, you know? But
0: you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm like a mixture of both of those things because so I. I had vent, I had trach and vent experience, but I, I did not have a uh, critical care experience. It was more like LTAC, stuff like that. So when COVID happened, I mean, obviously everybody in New York City was desperate for ICU trained, vent trained nurses. So, you know, I was asked, do you feel comfortable coming in and helping out? Which I did. And I, I did do that. And it was one of those things, like, I've never been in an ICU before. Um, I never worked here before. I will figure it out. And, I mean, part of that is knowing what you don't know, right? Like, I don't know. Like, when I came in, I didn't know pressors, So I was like, I don't know pressors, And I just told them that. Like, hey, if I have a problem with this, you're going to have to come help me because I don't know how to titrate this, you know? Um, so it was like, it was like, it was like, I'll figure it out, but I'm also gonna figure it out by telling other people, I don't know this, and you're gonna have to help me because I'm also here helping you, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's true, yeah. I think I think, Mike, what you're saying is really important because to really get to learn something, you have to kind of admit to yourself that you don't know. Because if you keep telling yourself, oh, I know, I know, then you're not really opening yourself up to learning. And that's a big part of learning is, is the curiosity built from not knowing,
0: mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah.
1: I would much
2: rather, uh, if I was sick and needing care, I'd much rather receive care from somebody who knew a lot less, but understood well the boundaries and limits of their knowledge and asked for help, than somebody that knew a lot more and was a cocky piece of shit about it,
0: right. and
2: uh, and thought that they were above getting help.
0: Definitely, and yeah. and nursing trusts those doctors so much more. If I have a doctor look at me and say. Actually, I don't know the answer to that. I'm like, cool, like, that's awesome. Like, please, when you know, let me know, you know, anybody yeah. who like tries to pretend, you can call that person out in one second. I'm like, okay, you don't know when you're trying to pretend I don't trust you now. You yeah. just broke our trust.
2: So all new grads, nurses, doctors, uh, please don't don't pretend in this way. It, it's one thing to project confidence in front of a patient. Um, don't lie in that situation either. But, you know, projecting confidence is one thing. Don't bullshit with your colleagues if you actually don't know something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the safest thing for a patient is, is to say that you don't know it. And you got to find a way to do it in a way that uh, earns people's confidence instead of uh, eroding it. I don't mm-hmm. know, but uh, I'm going to figure it out. Or I, I can't figure out why this person is having syncope. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to get help though. That kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, anybody that comes in like you're saying that thinks that they know the most on either side is always going to be a problem and not received correctly. So it's just better to like stay nice and kind of stay humble. And when you know stuff, go for it. And when you don't say it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I actually have a policy about this, which is, uh, Never say no to a nurse. It's my personal policy. Really? Um, Really? I I I say no sometimes. Like (laughs) no, if if you're going to um, disagree, you have to find a way to say it that is not no period, and then that's Mm -hmm. the end of the discussion. You can say Uh. let let me tell you what I'm thinking instead, or you know what happens sometimes is someone will directly ask me for something that in my training seems like not a good idea but in a group situation and i will try and say for example instead of just saying no i'll say um i actually have some thoughts about this and i'll uh, after this group thing i'll i'll we'll talk about it one-on-one we'll figure it out together yeah um yeah to uh, there's ways to do it but if you don't practice that what's going to happen is I know what I would be like as a nurse, which is if I had experience and judgment and I was advocating for a patient in some way and I asked for something and the response was no.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's, that's the end of the response. I'd be right. so pissed, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I like I and not only would I be pissed, I would not want to ask that doctor for other things in the future. I'd be like, fuck right. that guy. He's, he's not Definitely. gonna, he, he's a dick. He, he, he doesn't di- talk to me. He's <laughs> yeah. not going to explain why. Yeah. He just says, yeah. no, he doesn't trust my judgment. He hasn't asked me why I think that way. Yeah. It's, it's sure just right. no. Yeah. So it's really hard. And I've actually been burned for it on the other side from being so loyal to not actually just saying no period. I mean, sometimes if someone's got a syringe in their hand and they're going to eject uh atropine for a heart rate of 200 <laughs> instead of adenosine, like I'm yeah. going to say stop. Right, no. right,
0: right. Yeah.
2: But in 99% of interactions, I honestly, I'll tell you, like nurses haven't heard me say no. They'll they hear me say, let me show you these labs or like, let's talk about this. It takes more time. It pays me back time and everything else on the back end because mm-hmm. nurses are coming to me and bailing me out and telling me all this helpful information. And I feel like patient outcomes benefit as a result of it
0: absolutely yeah I I think that's such a good point Um, like I I don't think a nurse ever expects you to agree with her him or her a hundred percent of the time right? I don't expect because I look there's a reason why we have different roles and you have a different background and that's why I'm coming to you with this question so yeah I might be off base right but if if I feel heard if I feel like you understood why I came here and and then you explained to me, actually, this is why we're not. We actually thought of that, but then this is why we decided this, right? I'm like, oh, okay. First of all, I was heard. So I feel respected as a person. And also I know my patient is safe because I know you guys have already addressed this and it's not a problem, right? So yeah, um, I mean that's a really good approach. In I like my it. Opinion. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I totally know what you mean. It's not. It's not about no. It's more about like understand showing the other healthcare provider that their ideas, their opinions are noted. They're they're considered, mm-hmm. um, and you're not just saying no without hearing what they're saying. You're saying that I understand what you're saying. Um, and I'm taking it into consideration and actually maybe yes, um, maybe yes, but maybe in this particular situation, it's not yeah. what's, what's the best decision. So
0: not at this time, I, even, I, I know what you know. you're saying.
1: Definitely. If all you have to say is no, uh,
2: and you can't explain why number one, you're pulling rank, which is yeah. a really weak move. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, you don't actually know why, and you need to confront that about yourself. Sometimes you confront it by saying, I don't exactly know why, but I feel like uh, I'm not comfortable committing to that. Uh, let's hold off, you know, or like something along those lines instead of just, no, we're not doing it. I hate when people try and pull rank or just uh, jam some sort of request or order through because they are the doctor. Yeah. You know, MD is my decision. Like, no, that's not, if, if you don't act, like the leader of the team and by leader i mean you are below and everybody else is above you if you don't act that way you're gonna have a rough time people are gonna enjoy watching you crash and burn
0: definitely yeah. and they're gonna hang you out to dry and then like watch the show you're not basically. gonna
2: get that important call yeah. what you're gonna hear overhead is rapid response
0: mm-hmm. and you'll
2: be like oh wait that's my patient what's happening Right. Why am I having so many hard times? Yeah. Uh, why are they treating me this way? It's like, yeah, do some, uh, do some work on yourself.
0: Yeah. That's true. I, okay, so you did an interview with, is it the DO, DO.com?
2: So the, the um, American Osteopathic Association, AOA, they have a, a website. Okay. And their website is called the DO. It's like their online presence. And I think uh, their Instagram is similar to it too but I think what you're referencing is uh, a phone call I had that was recorded and then somebody edited that and then published it.
0: I see. Right. Okay. I want to quote you. Hold on. So they <laughs> okay. said, what is the most important step to building a good relationship with your nurses? And, and you said that the nurses are always there to address the needs of the patient. Their work is hard. They have to deal with challenges of difficult personalities. You said you have to be very appreciative Um, you miss out on really valuable component of a treatment plan if you're um ignoring the input of the nurse. Um, you have to empower the nurse. The nurse has to feel comfortable sharing their opinions. Um, nurses have not been given this opportunity. They need to trust you, don't dismiss their their feelings, their input. I mean, I I think that kind of sums up exactly what you've just said. So you
2: know what I'm about. I heard that and I'm like nodding in agreement. Yeah. Somebody (laughs) quoting me. So yeah, Yeah. that, that's all I, I'm totally uh, about advocating and empowering people because that's the only way I can get the best out of everybody and make sure that everything that I miss uh, is going to be covered by somebody else. So as much overlap and support and team building that you can get, you know, respect and appreciate the people you work with, um, it makes your job easier, and it's better for the patients. And and uh, nurse morale is always better when nurses feel valued and appreciative. Um, yeah,
0: definitely. I
2: freaked out some nurses when they call me uh, because they need something, and I say, "What do you want?" Uh, it takes <laughs> like they have to work with me for you know a couple months to get used to that and actually yeah. have an idea of what they'd like to try. And then uh, many times, if it's if it's good with me, I'm I'm okay with that, and we'll do that instead.
0: I used to work with like some very old school, old school attendings, like people who would only order in grams and, you know, drams and grams and all this stuff anyway. And that was always their move. Like they were just like, what do you think? And I was like a first year, like a brand new nurse. I'm like, I don't know. That's why I'm calling you. Like (laughs) I'm like lay six They're like, okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. And then if you're a new nurse in that situation and you have a doctor that actually is willing to hear your uh, input, mm-hmm. you don't know what to say, ask your uh, colleagues, ask your charge nurse, say, hey, I had this situation. I called the doctor. He says, what do you think?
0: Definitely. Um, what, yeah. What would
2: you have said in that situation? So you can yeah. learn from other people's clinical experience really easily in that way.
0: Okay. Wait. Uh, so right before, I know you got to go, but um, I I want to say one thing though. I feel like Um, and I mean, rightfully so, in my opinion, I nursing is really close to my heart. So I mean, nursing has gotten a lot of love this year. And I feel like especially with COVID, we all deserve a lot of love. So I'm, I'm all for it. And I love it. Um, But I do feel like some of like the interns and the residents, they might not get the same. Um, Like I see the memes, you know, about July first and that kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, I mean, I get the humor in it, but I don't like the underlying tone of it. Like, I think it's kind of mean. And, and what goes for one should go for another. What, what goes for nursing, we want to be respected, we want to be valued. I feel like that should go the same for interns and, and for residents. Um, so I mean, is there a way that nursing can help with that culture? Like, what, what can we do to really, like, try to change this problem?
2: Yeah, I think um, on a micro scale, if you uh, are able to uh, advocate, uh, if you see something that feels like it's mistreatment, and you, you have the safety in your position and you're backed up to actually voice it, then that helps. Um, you know, I I know hospital systems uh, in many places will not support a nurse for speaking up about something that's not okay, and if you're in one of those places, you just have to wait and then catch that intern or resident uh in a a more quiet time and then offer your support to them you know it's like you could say hey the way that uh i'm gonna say surgeon you know (laughs) the 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 way that that surgeon talked to you um was not okay and uh you know he treats us the same way but that doesn't make it okay and i'm sorry that happened and uh is this is there some way i could help you that kind yeah. of thing, just to know that you're not alone and that suffering a lot of times uh, helps, you know. And then eventually, the goal is to get to a place where you are—you have safety to speak up and advocate, and then you can actually be—you can really solve bigger problems that way too. Which is kind of—that was Michael of residency. There was so much shit that happened that I was not okay with, and I couldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, nurses couldn't say anything. Uh, it just really, this fire is burning strong. Even, even now, uh, going in my third year out of training, um, I want things to be better. You know, we, we have to improve cultures and, uh, the people that make memes about that stuff, I understand why they're doing it. It's, it's easy jokes. Mm -hmm. Uh, it appeals to like a base level of, uh, of feelings that we have had. And, you know, it can feel easy to anonymously just hit like on there or just laugh at it or whatever. But, you know, now we're learning uh, culture uh, is something that we are continuously either holding up the status quo, in this case, bullying and making fun of interns and new grads, or we're a part of the solution. Just kind of it's there's nothing in between. Just like you can't be not racist. You are either anti-racist or you are holding up the system that uh, ensures racism continues to cause racial inequality. It's the same kind of thing.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think 2020 is like our come to Jesus moment. Like we all need to like evaluate what is important to us and we need to start fighting for it a little bit. Like sitting by passively when someone abuses someone else in any kind of situation is not acceptable. And we all just need to start speaking up more because there's more of us that care about that than there is people who want to abuse people.
2: Yeah. There's a lot going on uh, in people's minds. And, yeah, uh, it's heavy. It's heavy for everybody. Yeah, the uh, the stress of uh, the pandemic. Yeah, combined with um, what's been going on in terms of racism rearing its ugly head, um, and then all of the uh, looking in the mirror, and then all of the self learning and listening and reading that goes along with that. It just combines. Uh, to cause some heaviness. And, you know, for you guys being on the East coast, particularly New York, you're probably in marathon mode at this point from the pandemic, just having been so consistently bad for so long and actually having achieved a surge peak. And then now kind of like this, what I'm assuming is a steady low level kind of situation there. Right. Um, Whereas on the West Coast, we are seeing things for the first time. And all the all the stuff that I have learned has been helpful in terms of medical management. Um, but it's those cases that don't follow, that we know don't follow our best uh, expert guidance, that it just really messes with you. And then the individual stories and... Um, you know, In my community, there's not a uh, big African-American population, but we do have quite a bit of uh, a Hispanic, Latin American, Mexican population. And um, what we are seeing is they are getting affected more. Um, they are having more cases of illness, and uh, their cases are more severe. You know, we know about this relationship to chronic disease, diabetes, and lung disease, et cetera. But um, have we really earned the trust of some of these populations to where we can go to their community and say, "Here's what you guys need to do to keep yourself safe"? No. As a medical community, have we really have we earned their trust to where we can just ask for something and then they will just follow? Um there is there's mistrust there, but also there is language barriers. And, you know, we have to ask um, in retrospect and going forward, what more do we need to do uh, to level the playing field a little bit? Um, so, yeah, a lot of the cases I've seen uh, have been Latin American men.
0: I I mean, we saw that obviously in New York City. We saw um, the African American, the the black community here was just ravaged. I mean, in comparison, the Bronx, Brooklyn was so much worse than um, Manhattan and the white communities. And a lot of the white communities in Manhattan actually left. I mean, Manhattan is like empty right now. (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of the people who could get out of the city did. So, um, the people who are left and the people who are sick were the people who maybe couldn't, you know?
1: Yeah. I think we are in a specific location within Manhattan though, where we see almost every demographic. We we Yeah.
2: Um, and you know, the other thing is language barriers are a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some of these situations, um, in an uh, airborne isolation room or area, uh, trying to have discussions uh, over the sound of high-flow nasal cannula or a BiPAP machine uh, through an iPad device, through an interpreter.
0: Um, it's impossible.
2: Yeah, and then in uh, in Oregon, uh, to use remdesivir, uh, it's, uh, it's authorized by the Oregon health authority, but it has to be, uh, an informed consent sort of process. Um, and so that's a challenge. These people are already here with an O2 sat in the seventies and we're like, uh, wanting to just start stuff and, and do what's in our toolkit, whether it works or not, you know, the people that qualify with renal function and, uh, LFTs and stuff, but then we're like, well... Uh, we have this and then also we're doing, um, uh, I'm not a part of it, but in my system, one of the intensivists is doing a clinical trial with, uh, a diabetes medicine, pioglitazone mm. actually. Um, and to see if it has some sort of anti-inflammatory benefit uh, for the disease process. And that's a second informed consent as well. So it's been tough. Sometimes you call family and you just hope there's somebody who is, um, fluent enough in English to be able to have a conversation over the phone from the nurse's station. It's a lot easier. But I mean, and you guys know this, what this pandemic has done uh, has uh, exposed a lot of uh, the shortcomings in our healthcare system. Definitely. Uh, exposed in a really bad way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's things we all knew were a problem. And, um, I mean, there's so much research on this topic and we, we talk about it, but really no one ever does anything about it. Right. And then when you see a pandemic like this, you just, it's glaringly obvious at this Mm -hmm. point. I mean, it's just, it's not even a question it's look who's being affected. You can see it. (laughs) So it's frustrating. Um, Because I I feel like there is a lot of research and it is time and time again, it's a hot topic, but no one really takes any action. And that's really frustrating for me.
2: What kind of action are you referring to? Or just general?
0: I mean, I, I don't know how to solve this problem, but at least where I live, I feel like we definitely could put more money into the healthcare system in some of these other neighborhoods. I mean, if you get sick and you, are, you have private pay or um, you're at Cornell or something, you're getting significantly better treatment than if you're on Medicare, Medicaid, and you're in Brooklyn or the Bronx. So, or Staten Island or, you know, so, um, I don't know how to fix that, but it's, it's a, it's obviously inpatient or outpatient both. Yeah, both. (laughs) It's, it's just so bad. I mean, I used to work in a clinic. It was a Medicare Medicaid clinic in Harlem and um the type of treatment the type of therapy the lack of testing i mean it was just atrocious i mean i had to leave i mean i i did my best i was there for two years and i tried to work with management and they offered me a position there to be like the the you know leader or whatever of the nursing staff there and and to do that and I, i turned it down and the only reason was because i didn't feel like i could actually make a difference in that if i felt like i could have done something i would have but the system itself is not receptive because it doesn't make money so dan do you have any like advice for uh how nursing can can help or is there anything we could do
1: i think a lot of it is communication based not just verbal communication also nonverbal communication because a little bit of an eye roll or a sigh can can actually have a lot of effects on someone's relationship with another person. Um, And I think some nurses may have that impression that the new interns coming in um, are really frustrating or they feel like they don't know what they're doing or to, to their credit, they're coming in like they're running the show and the nurses have been there for years and years and all of a sudden this new grad wants to run them around And the nurses aren't having it, you know, so that's difficult for them to deal with. And I understand, I think they should, um, express themselves in a nice calm manner and uh, say, Hey, you know, give, give their two cents about what they think is going on because they're more experienced. And I think if they, they talk to the intern the right way, they can sway them in in the right direction and, uh, make, make them make the right decision. You know, when I was an intern
2: and resident, I was very much watching Uh, what works and what doesn't in terms of how to be, because I I just wanted to uh, be the best that I could in my role. And I wanted uh, to let other people have a chance to be the best that they could be too. So we need that uh, feedback and that support. If an intern comes through and they're ridiculous um, and they're not responding um, the, the chief resident's got to know about it, you know, not like what they did in my program. Like, michael this new intern we don't like him um and then that was it but more like hey this person uh is a bit disruptive here and like here's what's happening and then give me a chance to actually go and like talk to that person and and make it better so i, I mean I, some people are going to be a-holes no matter what yeah. but in inter- trust me some people you cannot fix them uh, those interns, I, I question why they're in medicine. Some people. Um, that's just a personality thing, I think. Yeah. Some people should not be in medicine, but
0: and I mean, everybody deserves a chance. Doctors. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Everyone deserves a chance
1: uh, yeah. to get feedback and improve though. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Those are.
0: Yeah. Really good. Great points. Yeah. I appreciate you so much for coming and spending all of your time with us. I mean, it's, Uh, like I've been looking forward to this forever. So it's anytime, please like let us know. We're happy to have you.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Hopefully we'll have you on again. I'll be here. Just let me know. Thank you so much. All
0: right. Thank you. Thanks guys. Be well. All right. You you too. See you soon. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you have any comments or topics you want to submit, please send it to us. We're rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. I think that's going to do it for us today.
1: Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.